She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm Sarah Gorski, and I am so delighted, audience, to introduce you to my friend Dawn. Dawn, what can you tell the audience about you? Let's see, where do I start? I had such a long and storied past. No, um, (laughs) I go by Dawn or Sam, Sam short for Samson, because I've never had short hair. And I am a longtime devotee of women that kick ass. I started a theater company in Chicago 20 some odd years ago called Babes with Blades. I did some shows with Babes yes, after your time there. <laughs> after my time, we were we were ships passing in the night, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, all-female stage combat theater company. So we did shows that featured fighting roles for women. And it's become sort of a passion of mine to research and try to make the world aware of women fighters throughout history uh, because the martial history history of women is often downplayed or erased completely because, you know, the guys don't like to take the challenges. So we do um, know something about that on this podcast about the the erasure of women's stories. Yeah, it <laughs> seems to be something that happens a lot. Okay, um, Dawn, I want to ask you a couple questions. I always ask our new guests. My first question is, what is your personal definition of abroad? To me, the word broad suggests a gal with moxie, which I suppose also requires its own definition. But yeah, it's a gal who, someone who identifies as a woman and who is forging ahead, living her life according to her own rules as much as is possible in her circumstances and um, who doesn't take no guff from nobody. That's right. No guff from nobody. (laughs) All right. You, Dawn, have brought an amazing broad who I don't think I've ever heard of today. Who have you brought us? So actually, it's a duo of broads, and they are called the Valiant Ladies of Potosi. They were around in the mid-1600s, and they are South American, from South America. They're from an area of what is now Bolivia. At the time, it was under the control of the Spaniards. The Spanish discovered South America, right? So this is a tale of colonizers. Indeed. And we've recently done a few South American broads, and we've talked about the the Spanish colonies there. So this is not brand new for our listeners, thank goodness. Great. There we go. But give us the rundown anyway for people who haven't listened to those other episodes. So the Spanish uh, were thrilled to find a a plethora of precious metals that they could raid and uh, take out of the land and get themselves rich off of it. And Potosi is the town high in the Andes. It's one of actually one of the highest cities in the world. And at the time, it was part of the vice royalty of Peru, also known as Alto Peru. And it's in an area that is in modern day Bolivia. Doesn't Alto mean tall in Spanish? Yeah, because <laughs> one of the highest cities in the world. Yeah. So uh, silver was discovered in Potosi and it became, mm. it became sort of, there, there was so much silver there that it became sort of the center of the silver mining boom in that area of the world. So what happened is, you know, this little town that was populated by indigenous South American uh, tribe, the Quechua, 
And the Spaniards uh, discovered it and, of mm-hmm. course, com- completely took over. Um, they basically enslaved the Quechua and made them work in the mines. They would pay the miners, but the townspeople really, the indigenous people really had no choice. They would either mine in the mines or they would work in the town supporting the miners and supporting the Spanish overlords. Fuck the colonizers. Fuck them. Exactly. In every episode. Fuck them. They come in, they destroy, and, uh, you know, they lay waste to the indigenous lifestyle and the indigenous um, culture. So it became a town that got really rich really fast. And there was an enormous wealth gap, right? The, the, The Spanish robber barons who came here, they came there just for the money. They didn't come to settle. It it wasn't a a colonizing force that came to settle in that place. It was a colonizing force that came to take everything they could and, you know, live high on the land of, of others. So there was this enormous wealth gap, which meant that Crime was rampant everywhere. It was a really dangerous town. Bandits were everywhere. You know, people, the the very poor indigenous folk that were being trampled on would try to uh, rob anyone they could find. If you went outside, you had to wear multiple layers of clothing so that you could be ready for knife attacks. Um, Oh, my God. The town council, which were the ruling Spaniards, uh, wouldn't meet without uh, wearing chain mail. Oh my god! Yeah, so it was, it was some rough, rough. That's like life. worse than Deadwood. That's like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So into this milieu, we find two young women. Now they are folk heroines, and so they exist in that space of like there are a lot of stories about them, but there's not mm. a whole lot of historical, actual writing about them. So. It's difficult to parse and it's up to interpretation, like what is true and what is an embellishment on the truth. Yeah. When you become folk hero status, that's generally kind of the way of things. Exactly. So the two ladies are Anna Lazama de Yorinza and Doña Eustaquia de Sonza, the valiant ladies of Potosi, or sometimes called the valiant... Peruvian ladies of Potosi. They were about the same age. And again, there are different stories about them. Uh, Doña Eustaquia was definitely Spanish nobility. She lived in a hacienda behind very secure walls. And she was rich. She lived in this beautiful villa that overlooked the town. And um, her dad was getting rich off of the mineral trade. Dona Anya she has two different origin stories. The first origin story is the one written source for these tales, a book called The Tales of Potosi by Bartolome Arzens. And uh, this was a history that he wrote over many decades as he lived in Potosi. And he was sort of collecting all the stories of Potosi and writing them down into many volumes. And this is the the written source material for the Valiant Ladies. In the written source material, they were both noble women. And Dona Anya's parents died. And so to uh, take her in, Dona Eustaquia's father adopted her. So these two young women were, were about the same age. And uh, when she was quite young, Dona Ana was brought into the Desanza 
household as adopted as a as a, a child. So adopted sisters kind of? Adopted the... sisters kind of, yeah. Other origin stories say that she was actually an, a street orphan, the Ana Lazama de Urinza. She grew up in the rough streets of uh, Potosí and that somehow they met, although these two young girls would have no reason to have met if they were from such completely different social circles, unless Anna was hired possibly as a servant in their household. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's a pretty romantic story uh, that one was from riches and one was from poverty. Somehow these two became fast friends. Uh, Doña Eustachia had a uh, an older brother who uh, was being trained in all of the ways of the nobility. So he was being trained in swordplay, in, in how to f- use firearms, in how to ride on horseback, as well as reading and writing and all that sort of thing. Now, her father, there were only two children. Doña Eustachia had an older brother and that was it. And her mm-hmm. father uh, was very generous for the time period and uh, allowed Doña Eustachia to learn everything her brother learned. And when when Anna came on the scene, the two of them apparently took to swordplay like ducks to water. And so um, <laughs> they were they were allowed to study right alongside her brother, even though they were a couple of years younger, and they would practice with each other. They became sparring partners. So when Doña Eustachia's older brother died, quite young, I believe one, uh, one source said that he was 15 when he died. Doña Yusakia became sort of the the de facto heir. And so she continued to learn not only the ladylike arts of needlepoint and, you know, how to uh, play music and sing and all that sort of thing, but she also learned, you know, she continued her lessons in swordplay and riding on horseback and firing weapons and all that sort of thing, which, you know, Mm. was probably good skills to have in as dangerous a place as Potosi. Yeah, especially if you're not like, if you don't want to be a woman that has to be, you're unmarried, I imagine. Exactly. You don't want to be a weakling. And if you're trying to run your family's property. And that's, yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah. She, as the de facto heir, she also learned how to keep the accounts, how to run the property, how to run, you know, the business of, of the silver mines, that sort of thing. So she was quite an accomplished Mm. young lady and her spirit was quite large. She was abroad. So when she was 15 or 16, she and Anna started to chafe at being confined to the hacienda. And uh, some accounts say, with the help of a black servant, like in the in the accounts, she is called a negress. But others say they did it themselves. So you know, again, they decided to dress as men, and mm. at night they would slip out of the hacienda and plunge themselves into the violent nightlife of Potosi (laughs) and have adventures. That sounds way better than clubbing. Right? (laughs) Go out in street fight. Go out in street fight. And that's what they did. Like they would hang out in bars, they would drink. And because they were young and feeling full of themselves and their skills, they would get into scrapes. So there are a couple of there are a couple of accounts of various duels that they fought in the streets and they loved it. They had so much fun that they did it several times before they got into a really big fight with two with four men, the two of them mm. against four men. 
And uh, at one point in the fight, as the story goes, um, Doña Anna was hit on the head. And so she fell down and she was out of the fight for a second. And so Doña Eustachia like stood over her body and defended her against these four attackers until she <laughs> came to her senses enough that she could get up. And she was so pissed at the person who hit her on the head that she went after him with <laughs> a viciousness and sliced through his shield, his hand shield, oh, with shit. such force that she nearly cut off his hand in the process. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, faced with her rage, the the you know the guys ran away, but she was wounded pretty badly. And so when they when they limped back to the hacienda, she had to recover. And mm. because of this, her dad found out what they were doing. You can't hide like massive body wounds exactly from a fight fight. (laughs) exactly so he found out what they were doing he was pissed he you know forbid them from ever doing it again at this point you know this is his his heir his only heir his only only living child exactly so he was like that is not happening anymore but of course when they recovered from that fight they were like hell no we we are meant to be out in the world and so again, with the help of the servant, and some accounts say the servant came with them, they, you know, they grabbed a whole bunch of silver and jewels from, from the dad's household, <gasps> dressed as men, and they ran away. Wait, they how old were they at this point? So they, they were teens. They were probably like 16, 17. <laughs> they didn't want to fuck a curfew, dad. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So they run away. For the next, supposedly for the next five years, they're traveling around the country dressed as men. And this is where the stories start to accumulate, right? So Mm -hmm. then there became stories that like, they were seducing women, they were, (laughs) uh, they were, you know, having affairs with women, they were, uh, they became vigilantes and would like find causes and underdogs and fight for the underdogs. I mean, the stories just keep, you know, keep getting better and better all the time. And uh, it was also at the, the original source material is very eager to point out that during this entire time, they maintained their purity. Right. So Spain, Spain, very heavy Catholic. Gotta love the Catholics. Gotta love the Catholics. Exactly. (laughs) Well, if they were only romancing other ladies, that, you know, exactly. Could be be true, actually. If you you (laughs) define sexual activity as only heterosexual and penetrative sex, then they were absolutely pure and virginal. Some accounts say that they became each other's lovers, that they were uh, romantic partners as well as mm. surrogate sisters. Is that a dominant part of the storyline or is that kind of like... It's, of course, not in the original source material, of course, uh-uh. because, you know, writing as, as Catholic Bane. But it actually tracks fairly well with other period descriptions of lesbians, who we now mm. know who we now know to be lesbians right hung around in the company of women all the time mm-hmm. never seen to be like dating or romantically attached with other men even there aren't even any stories of them being wooed by other men mm. and an emphasis on their purity that does track and i think this may have been what made me think of charlotte cushman 
because it was a similar story with her. She was she was living openly with someone who she called her wife in no uncertain terms. Um, clearly, you know, lesbian lovers, but the world insisted on her virginal pure status. So it does track. I am inclined to believe that yes, they were lovers. Well, you know, I love dramatic stories too. So it's always, you know, it's more romantic, more dramatic if if they are. So I always exactly. like I'm drawn to that that exactly. that um, thread of the story if it exists. <laughs> yep. So to make a long story short, um, five years go by. They're out in the world having adventures, living off of their silver and jewels that they stole from Dad's hacienda, and then they get word that their father ha- uh, that Doña Eustaquia's father has died. And he has left her everything as his sole heir on the condition that she has not married while she's been out traveling around. Well, she didn't. (laughs) She didn't. So uh, Doña Yusikia and Doña Anna make their way home and they take over the running of the hacienda. They take over the running of the business. You would think, however, that would mean they would settle down. And that was not one of the conditions of the will. (laughs) <laughs> so they did not they did not settle down they were they lived large one of their uh, pastimes as well as you know sword fighting and all that sort of thing was bullfighting <laughs> and uh so a couple of years later still in their early 20s Doña Ana sustained an injury while bullfighting and uh it proved such uh an injury that she died mm. And Doña Eustaquia died four months later. Um, The official account is that she had a chest infection, which is a a way of saying she died of a broken broken heart. heart. So these women, as I said, they have become folk heroines. Their story has continued to grow throughout the years. And even even to the point where there's a wonderful um, YA novel called The Valiant Ladies. And it is a novel about their sort of vigilante adventures of the two of them fighting for people who had no recourse, you know, people who were oppressed by this Spanish colonizing force. So they're just, they're wonderful characters. And I try not to let the fact that some of this is probably not true get in the way of the fact that they are wonderful characters. I kind of can't believe there hasn't been a major Hollywood movie made about them. It's like a very... Yeah, it's a wonderful story. And yeah, I mean, I think it could be a heck of a movie. It could be a series, you know, yeah. of them out in, in the countryside of what was then Peru, now Bolivia, you know, fighting on behalf of those who who need swordswomen to come to their aid. Did they do like, was, did you get the sense that there was like kind of a, like a Robin Hood-ishness to them? Did they, were they like taking money from the rich and giving it to the poor or they really just were kind of defending the honor? Yeah, none of those stories appear in the original source material. So mm. uh, I think at this point, you know, similar to Robin Hood, who has become the basis for a ton of stories about Robin Hood and has become an archetype, you know, the Robin Hood archetype. I think, you know, you could take them and put them in whatever kind of story you wanted to create. And I think, uh, you know, you wouldn't be false to the original source material. You'd just be expanding on it. Wow. Wow. What a great, what a great find. Thank you so much, Don, for bringing them today. They are fantastic. They are. They're great. So teenage yeah. 
swordswomen lovers who just would not be constrained by Spanish patriarchal society. I love them. <laughs> I love them too. Thank you so much for bringing them, Don. You're just fantastic. Absolutely. My pleasure. Listeners, if you want to read more about them or see pictures of the Valiant Ladies of Potosi, you should visit our website, broadsyoushouldknow.com. You can check out them and all of the other broads that we've covered on this podcast. You also can click over to our new About page and read more about Dawn, all the work that she's doing, links to her stuff. And if you enjoyed listening to her today, you also should check out her podcast, 34 Circe Salon. If you are a fan of feminism and the matriarchy, you're going to love her podcast too. So check it out and give them a subscribe. Broads You Should Know is edited by Chloe Skye, and our music is by Darren Callahan. Don't forget, you can hit us up on social media at Broads You Should Know, and you can always email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. And come back next week for another Broad You Should Know. And if you really enjoyed listening to this episode about the Valiant Ladies of Potosi, we have a few other broads that you ought to check out right away. We've got our Latina fighters, La Adelita Los Soldaderas, the broads of the Mexican Revolution, and Policarpa La Pola Salavarieta, the Colombian Revolutionary. And if you really enjoy specifically lesbian-flavored fighters, then you ought to check out Julie Daubeny and stagecoach Mary Fields. Okay. See you next week.